Life takes you to funny places and these past few days have been no different. This episode is being shot in um, Belgium, Brussels, Belgium. And I'm currently with my colleague and work pal, Jen. And we're going to be talking about the funny places that life takes you to when you're a teacher. Welcome to that high school life. Hey, this is Joe, and if you didn't hear it, welcome to Season 3, Episode 3 of That High School Life. Um, this one is called Dispatches from Belgium, because right now I'm on a school trip with a group of 24 kids in Brussels, Belgium. And I'd like to introduce my guest for today. Actually, you know what? I'll let her introduce herself. Jen, how are you? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Yeah, I'm Jen, and I'm a fellow Canadian, and it's yeah. good to be on your show. <laughs> oh, well, thanks for, for taking the time. I know it's... It's been a busy couple of days. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know. Let, let's start with that. It's it's day three of this this adventure to Belgium. Um, we've got twenty four kids in tow, who've just spent the last couple of days following us on trains, buses, <laughs> walking on streets, and more trains. How how are you doing? I'm tired. I'm ready to get back <laughs> to Essen. But yeah, good overall. They've been really good, and mm-hmm. and it's a beautiful city. Um, so yeah, everything's okay. Yeah, it's it's eight nineteen right now. We this this there's a time cap on this episode because we have to do bed checks in a little bit. Um, yeah, are, are you a fan of school trips? I am. Yeah, one thing I like about them is it lets me see the kids in a totally different way outside of the science classroom, and they get to see me in a different way. And I think it makes them see me and other teachers as people, mm-hmm. which I think is a really good bonding activity yeah, yeah i mean what what did we the the waffle workshop today yeah it was a good example of how to make kids clean up after they're done making a mess a very good example yeah and i chose <laughs> my waffle carefully um and it was delicious it was good there were no eggshells strands of hair <laughs> overall a very like healthy eating experience and these are grades six to eight students so it's not been without its challenges i would say I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. But I think overall, they've been really good sports, um, really punctual as well, which always helps. Yes. And yeah, pretty positive, especially given all the rain that we've had, which has been a lot of rain. Um, yeah. <laughs> they've been troopers. <laughs> if you're not following the weather reports for Brussels this, this week, it's it's been uh, pretty near constant rain. Yeah, almost all day, every day. Yeah, we even had hail yesterday. Yeah, and um, some snow this morning. And some well. snow this morning. It was. It, it's been. This is a, a, a trip to remember for sure. Um, but uh, moving on from that, when I started ISWR, I was surprised to actually meet another Canadian. Um, most of my colleagues have been not Canadian. <laughs> but what what got you here of all places? Yeah, it's a good question because Essen was somewhere I'd never heard of, and when I left Canada ten years ago, I thought I'd go away for a year. Mm -hmm. and now it's been 10. Um, But I think what brought me to Essen really was my husband, in a sense, who's from the UK, and we were living in Bermuda and wanted to get closer to one of our families Mm -hmm. um, because we've got two small kids now, and Europe seemed like a really good move for a lot of reasons, Um, pre-Brexit as well (laughs) for my (laughs) British children. No one saw that coming. 
but also because we could be close to one family and still have really good travel opportunities right. and our kids could also learn a second language. So all of those things combined, as well as the fact that my husband and I both got job offers at the same school, mm-hmm. it just felt like, yeah, the obvious, obvious next step. Yeah. Which actually brings me to the, the focus for this episode, which is teaching abroad as, as a family. You know, um, yeah. uh, there are some teachers I've met who have had kids, but it's largely been more of an exception and not the rule. So for the teachers who are listening to this, who are, you know, part of a larger family and looking to make the move, this that's why I'm making this episode. It, it's an interesting conversation to have, um, especially when you've got a family and you've got to move like a bunch of people overseas. It is, and it's a totally different childhood for my kids than the childhood that I had, which was growing up in the same town that my parents grew up in Mm -hmm. with both sets of grandparents around and cousins. And um, yeah, so it's a very, sometimes I'm navigating waters as a parent that I don't have experience with as a child. Right. Um, So that presents its own set of challenges as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So before we jump into that, what, um, what initially was it about international teaching that that appealed to you. For me, it was the opportunity to to move outside of the TDSB, uh, the Toronto District School Board. Yeah. For those of you who are listening, um, I did enjoy public teaching, but I definitely wanted to try international teaching. And yeah. for me, it was the draw of wow, I get to work overseas. Yeah, I think it was a lot of the same things for me. When I graduated with my education degree, it was difficult to get um, a permanent job in Nova Scotia. And I also knew that I wanted to travel. Mm -hmm. So it seemed like the natural thing to do to go abroad for a few years, maybe travel for a little bit and then come home. And when I left Canada, I also thought this is a great chance to have my own classroom to, you know, get established in my career um, without having to do substitute teaching for a long time. Yeah. So that was also another appealing factor. But then, like I mentioned, I met my husband and going home hasn't happened yet, yeah. which is okay. Yeah, of yeah. course. Yeah. Um, things, life happens. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it does take you to some truly unexpected places. So you mentioned, Jen, that you've been teaching abroad for uh, 10 years now. That's a full decade of, you know, traversing the globe. Yeah, it's scary when you put it that way. Um, You were in multiple countries before this, right? Yeah, so my first job was in Kuwait, Mm -hmm. and I stayed there for one year. And then a friend of mine from Kuwait got a job in Moscow, and she said, you should apply, and we could get a flat together. And I thought, yeah, okay, why not? And so then I went to Moscow for three years, and that's where I met my husband. And then we left Moscow when I was seven months pregnant and moved to Bermuda, which was not such a wise move at the time, but it it turned out okay. It was just a bit stressful. Um, And we lived in Bermuda for five years and had um, both of our kids there. And now we're in Germany and we've been in Germany for one and a half years. And and now we're in Belgium. Yeah, and now we're in Belgium (laughs) for Uh, one and a half days. Yeah, for one more, one and a half more days. Um, For those of you that are listening, um, there are some cool things to do in Belgium. Um, If you do have kids with you or if you don't have kids with you and you want to see some cool educational stuff, those will be in the show notes. And this is kind of off track, but I would like to give a shout out to Hostel Bruegel, where we're staying. They're great. They are, actually. Um, are, yeah, for a hostel, their service is amazing and their food is actually good. So if you're looking for a hostel to stay at, definitely come here. So you mentioned you've been in um, Kuwait, Russia, Bermuda, and now Germany. And it's been a full 10 years. 
What's it been like for you, um, you and your husband as, as, as a family moving abroad with two kids? Difficult to say the least. So the move to Germany was our first move with the kids because mm-hmm. we had both kids in Bermuda. Yeah. Um, so even though I moved there seven months pregnant, I had a little bit of time anyway to sort of get settled before um, Ethan came along. Moving to Germany with a four-year-old and a six-month-old um, was difficult. I mean, the baby was quite easy to move, to be fair, because she didn't know what was going on. But moving with a four and a half year old was hard. And Mm -hmm. I would say for a good six months after, he still spoke about Bermuda as if we were going back. Mm -hmm. And he thought he would see his friends again soon. And I think this mom guilt that any moms listening probably know about uh, was very real. And I was experiencing it all the time. Mm. And I was thinking, have I messed up my child, even though he's only four and a half years old? Will he ever recover from this? He'll bounce back. He'll bounce back. <laughs> and even though he still now says he's Bermudian, mm-hmm. um, he speaks almost fluent German, despite the fact that he's at an international school. Mm-hmm. So most of his day is in English. Um, and I think he feels like Germany is also home now. And this is probably where most of his childhood memories will be and will start. And for our daughter, yeah, moving with a baby was much easier. But things that before hadn't been so difficult, like finding an apartment, seemed more difficult with a family. A lot of landlords were hesitant to rent to us because we had children, because I think they worry about, you know, kids destroying things, which I can understand. But, you know, our kids are small and pretty, pretty good. So that felt... That felt like a real sort of kick when we were down that, Mm -hmm. you know, we found some really nice flats that we wanted and people didn't want to rent to us because we had small kids. The other difficult part for us was that we left a a three-bedroom house with a garden to move to a flat on the fourth floor with no garden, no balcony, and no bathtub. And no (laughs) elevator. No elevator either, yeah. So with two kids under the age of five, one who can't walk up the stairs, that I think felt like the biggest challenge for us. And a year and a half later, I can't believe it, we're still in the same flat. And it sort of feels like a version of home. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's our space now. And we've made peace with it for the moment. (laughs) Um, We're getting to the point now where we can remember that, yeah, we've done this before. The light's at the end of the tunnel. We've got a couch now. We've got plates (laughs) now. (laughs) We have, you know, we're, we're sort of getting more settled and feeling like Germany is where we lay our heads for now. Sure, Um, of course. But I think in the beginning, all of the things that were difficult about moving country felt magnified because we had two kids in tow. We often talk about the concept of resilience for international school teachers. Like you have to be resilient as you you move abroad and experience new challenges. Uh, I can't imagine what that's like with kids because you can't tell a kid you have to be resilient, you know, suck it up, you'll be okay. Do do you find it's made for more resilient kids? I think so. I think they're still young to tell, to be fair. But I, yeah, I think my son especially I've noticed is a lot more resilient in terms of not understanding things. It doesn't mm-hmm. frustrate him yet, which is a really good thing. And yeah, our daughter, I think because she was so small, I haven't really seen it in her yet. But one thing that I do notice about my son is that he identifies home as a lot of different places. Right. Um, Canada because of me, the UK because of, of my husband, Bermuda because that's where he was born and now Germany because that's where he lives. And I sort of think that's exactly what I wanted for my kids in living abroad is that they can identify with different places and feel at home, not necessarily because of a geographical location, but because of where family is. 
I think that's something that, you know, a lot of international school teachers aspire to. They want to make home the place where, like you said, you lay your head for now and not necessarily yeah. like a geographical spot. It's, it's, yeah. it's in the heart or the head. Yeah, definitely. So we've talked about, you know, in general, what it's been like for you moving abroad with a family and with children. But, you know, since this, this episode does focus on family, um, I would like to ask you, what is the, I guess, the biggest challenge that a parent moving abroad with a kid can expect because it's so easy to project things for yourself or to see ahead for yourself and say, okay, I'm going to have problems with this. I'm going to maybe have problems integrating for for the next three or four months because I, I don't know the language. But for you as a parent, John, what's it been like? What what was that? What were those challenges that I'm not thinking of because I, I don't have kids? I think the things that we thought would be the biggest challenges, like not having any furniture, turned out to be really fun for the kids because. When we got our couch and then had only a couch and a massive box, the massive box became like the most fun play space that they've ever had. <laughs> or when we had no kitchen table and chairs, we yeah. ate dinner on the kitchen floor for three weeks. And we're they camping. thought that was amazing because yeah. we were camping every night. So I think the things that we anticipated as challenges actually are probably what the kids thought were the most fun. The biggest challenge that I'm still finding at the moment is organizing their lives in terms of things like making doctor's appointments and not having the time that I would like to have to devote to learning German because I work full time and then I want to be yeah. home with my kids. Those have been the biggest challenges. And I think I thought picking up the language would be easier because the last time I lived in a non-English speaking country, I didn't have kids. So I misplanned or misanticipated mm -hmm. how much time it takes to devote to that. And I'm still finding it really difficult um, if one of the kids gets sick, mm -hmm. taking them to the doctor, making the appointment, coping with the, the language and the vocabulary, yeah. despite the fact that, yeah, people do speak English and are helpful for the most part, it's still not easy. And that's a time when you want to be somewhere that you feel comfortable when your kids are not well. So that for me has been overall the biggest challenge. Do you use Google Translate when you're when you're at those? Religiously. <laughs> and that's why I prefer to still do a lot of things face to face as much as I might be embarrassed to admit it, because mm -hmm. I can at least type things into Google Translate. Of course. But I had a little victory two weeks ago. I made my first doctor's appointment over the phone and I answered all the questions and I got <laughs> to the appointment at the right time. So I felt like it was quite a big a big moment for me. <laughs> it's honestly those those small things yeah. will, you know, kick up one's morale. Like I was with my wife at a restaurant and we completed our order and we're even able to have a short conversation about how good it was. That's impressive. Um, after, and we, you know, we finished, we're like, did we just do that? So I, I can't imagine what that must be like for a parent because not only are you communicating for yourself, but someone's health is on the line. So yeah, that's good. I'm, <laughs> I have a massive amount of respect for you for having done this because oh, thanks, Joe. I don't know how, how, how I do it by myself and I don't know how you do it as a parent, but it's impressive that you continue to do so day what? after day. Others might call it stupidity moving to a country that we didn't know the language at all, but we grow and yeah. that's a good thing. So. Yeah. I call it an adventure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. On good days, I call it an adventure too. Yeah. On bad days, I call it. Yeah. I just want to sit down and watch Netflix for the next exactly. 12 hours. And sometimes we do that as well. As, you know, people who are listening to this might be considering, hey, I want to go teach abroad with my kid um, and you know, the rest of my family. Are there any things that you feel you overlooked in the process of moving with your children? Um, I think, yeah, going back to language, I would have done a little bit more legwork um, initially to come with at least knowing, you know, some of the, the sounds of the language or the natural pauses. But one of the things that a friend suggested we do, who's German, is she said, make sure you bring a lot of English storybooks because they'll be really difficult to get for the kids. And at first I thought, oh, come on. I mean, we're moving just outside of Dusseldorf. It's a big 
international city, but it is difficult to get some English books. And that was one thing that we spent a lot of our shipping allowance on was shipping their storybooks. We've still got a bookcase full and I'm so glad that we did because it gave them that comfort that they have every night before bed when we read a story mm-hmm. and it gave me comfort as well because that was something that I do with them every night sure. it was part yeah. of our routine a bit of normality so I think that was probably some of the best advice that we got pre-move and then the other really good thing that we did ship was a sleeping bag for our son so mm-hmm. that I mean his bed was the last bed that we bought yeah. but it didn't matter because he had a sleeping bag yeah. and pillow and he thought again <laughs> doing everything on the floor is super fun yeah um, <laughs> you wait a couple of years exactly you know? wait till you're 25. Do you know I think he was a good age to move with because yeah. he just thought doing anything out of the ordinary was really fun so yeah that was another really good um item that we brought with us yeah I mean I still like doing things that are out of the ordinary but I also enjoy sleeping in a bed <laughs> yes and so do we <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty good advice again because I don't have a kid so I will trust literally everything you say I don't know if I trust everything, but... A hundred percent. Let's take a more forward-looking approach now. Um, is there any advice you have for teachers who are considering moving abroad or have already signed? It's, it's, it's February, and usually around now, the contracts have been signed? Yeah, it's that time right? of the, year, isn't it? Yeah. The big recruiting fairs are, you know, they're, they're still coming. Yeah. But some of the bigger ones have already taken place. I know Search Associates in Bangkok, London. Congrats, by the way, if, if you've survive those meat grinders because they, they are challenging and they are tough. But yeah, Jen, for the teachers who've signed those contracts or are considering maybe making that move next year or have a recruiting fair coming up, what advice do you have for them? I mean, if, if you've signed your contract already, you've obviously made your decision about yep. your school. But I think if you are deciding about a school, I think most people probably know, but it's so important to think about the school community mm-hmm. from a parent point of view, as well as a staff member. So, you know, does the school offer all of the extracurricular support that I want for my kids? Right. Um, what about lunch programs and all of all of the little things? What additional costs come even if my child gets free tuition, will there be extra fees that might not be so clear up front? If you've made the decision about a school and you're getting ready to make the move and arrive in a new place, the first thing to keep in mind is to take help when it's offered. Mm -hmm. So especially from other staff members, if they're offering to help, you know, watch your kids or build a bunk bed like people did for (laughs) us, take them up on it and just say yes. And the time will come when you can pay that forward, even if it's not necessarily to the same person you can help out a future staff member and, you know, turn the good deed around. We also got really lucky in that we found um, a fantastic babysitter through our school community who was a a practice teacher, a student teacher at our school when we first arrived. And that's given us just a little bit of freedom every now and then to either go out and, you know, have a little bit of time together or Mm -hmm. get a job done. Or the other challenge that comes for couples who teach at the same school is that if they have any extracurricular obligations or info evenings, they often have to attend together. So I think building that community from the start is essential because it is really difficult having kids when you've got no family around. And that's true for families who might not even live abroad, but you know, live in the same country, but in a different location from mm-hmm. from their family members. So I think, yeah, taking help when it's offered and allowing people to become part of your community, which can be difficult because it requires yes. a certain <laughs> level of trust and you're yep. trusting people with your most prized, precious possessions ever. Your computers um, and iPads. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding, your children, your children. Well, electronic devices. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I, I think... Also, just making time for your kids as well. And, you know, 
making time to go and get a hot chocolate together mm-hmm. or coffee together and keep things simple and remember that, yeah, we might have moved countries, but we can sort of keep our our days normal and quiet and have a bit right. of a routine. And I think that helps everybody to, to adjust and get yeah. used to the new surroundings. You're still family at the end of the day, regardless of where you are. Yeah, and we still always have each other. Mm-hmm. Which I, And, you know, I think if we remember that we're going through this adventure together and we're going to have good days and bad days no matter where we live, but we also get some really cool experiences out of living abroad, of it helps yep. to put things into perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, obviously, again, I don't have kids, but... Maybe they don't appreciate it now, but I'm sure they'll appreciate it somewhere down the line, right? Let's hope so. Yeah, my, <laughs> yeah. my fingers are crossed. I'll check it's in with you in 10 from years. a place of love. <laughs> <laughs> um, is there anything, I guess, and we're shifting gears again. You know, as an international teacher, you've been abroad for a decade. Um, you do get to go back to Canada every so often. But in the times that you go back, and I've noticed this too, is there anything that you realize, man, I really miss this? Yes, and it's becoming worse. <laughs> Ketchup, my family, chips, and obviously, oh, yeah, yeah, that too. Ketchup chips, definitely. <laughs> but yeah, I really miss my family. But the difficulty with being from a big country like Canada is my family's so spread out. Yeah, they're in Nova Scotia, Ontario, and Alberta. So moving home wouldn't necessarily solve that part of it. Right. I miss being able to eavesdrop <laughs> sometimes <laughs> and speak English easily. Yes, um, I still miss Tim Hortons. Same here. Even though usually once I have one coffee, I think, yeah, it's maybe not not such great coffee, yeah. but I still miss it. It makes me feel comfortable and yep. yeah, it brings back good memories. And then I just miss sometimes being in my hometown where I walk down the street and I have memories and I know people and people know me yeah. and they knew me before I was a mom and a wife and they knew me after I'm a mom and a wife and we have a history together. So I think that's one of yep. the things I miss is being somewhere where I've got memories that are older than a year and a half. It's almost like that, um, I guess, a social or a cultural shorthand. Yeah, definitely. Um, when it comes to communicating. I think one of the other big things I miss is um, just being able to go to the shop and get exactly what I want. Yeah. And go to <laughs> one shop for um, a pharmacy and clothes and food and school supplies yeah. and books and yeah. homeware. And, <laughs> and, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for, you know, the sort of European high street. Yeah. Um, model and i appreciate that that is a good thing but i think sometimes when life is busy i just miss those mega markets <laughs> yeah it, it, convenience is nice yeah exactly <laughs> um and that's coming from someone who doesn't have a family yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um let's shift gears one last time sure you have kids two of them they're young um and young kids are different from older kids in that older kids can pound away on a cell phone open a book or even take a walk by themselves <laughs> if you tell them leave. But small kids can't do that. You, you need to keep them entertained. Um, but with that in mind, um, what is there for kids to do in Essen, Germany? Yeah, well, <laughs> considering that we live in a flat that's 80 square meters, the first thing we do is get outside of the flat if yep. we're not watching <laughs> a movie together. Um, Essen has a lot of parks. It was named, I think, the green capital of Europe a few years ago. Oh. So it does have a lot of... Um, a lot of Spielplatz is mm-hmm. playgrounds, um, which are really good. I mean, we can hop playgrounds within just a small radius of our flat. There's probably about five playgrounds, which right. is really nice. And they're free. And they're free. <laughs> yeah. 
One of the best parks that I've been to in a long time is the Gruga Park as well, which we have yes. a membership to. Um, for us, it's a little bit of a hike. It maybe takes 15 minutes to mm-hmm. get there. Um, but it's just full of really big green spaces, yep. lots of really nice playgrounds for the kids. And it's somewhere that they can sort of run a bit more yep. freely and openly. And there's a really cool little train that they like to ride as well. Yeah. So that's fun. <laughs> um, Apparently adults aren't allowed on it. but You can run beside yeah. it, though. It's not so fast. <laughs> Um, and then there's quite a few things around Essen as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's a, an indoor trampoline park in um, a place, I think it's called Cry. Mm-hmm. And in Oberhausen, there's a little Lego Discovery Center and a Sea Life. And then there's a really good little um, kids' science museum called Explorado in Duisburg. Right. So, you know, because of the train connections as well, there's quite a lot that might not be in Essen, but is easily reachable sort of around the Essen region. Yeah. And then the other nice thing is we've got so many links to European cities, so you can travel without having to drive for 10 or 15 hours right. to get somewhere or without having to fly. As some, you know, I, I, I enjoy traveling and you're right. It is pretty close and very well connected to other parts of Europe. Not Definitely. necessarily in Germany, but yeah, yeah abroad as well. Um, Jen, I feel prepared to have children should I ever make that decision. Um, <laughs> oh, I'm glad. <laughs> but in the meantime, I'm saving for a new laptop. Uh, well, they're both expensive, so yeah. <laughs> about the same price too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you. I, I really do appreciate you, you know, taking the time to do this on this field trip that isn't even done yet. We have one more day to go. I've enjoyed talking to you. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you. That has been season three, episode three of that high school life. Thank you all again to everybody who continues to listen. A special shout out and thank you to my colleague and work pal, Jen, for taking the time to sit with me. It has been a busy couple of days. We've got one more day left on this field trip. If you like this podcast, be sure to subscribe on Spotify, Google Play, or wherever fine podcasts are found. My name is Joe, and until next episode, have a good one and take care. 